Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. I want to explain to you before I read this why it's so important for us to listen to this man, James. You'll recall, if you've been here in the last few weeks, I've talked a little bit about James before because we've, been, we've taken several passages from this book recently. James was a leader in the very first Christian congregation, after Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the tomb, spent 40 days showing himself to over 500 people uh, to prove that he was truly risen from the grave. He ascended back into heaven. Shortly after that was the day of Pentecost. Peter preached and the church grew overnight. And interestingly, One of the people that became a believer because of Jesus' resurrection, he was a holdout. He did not believe in Jesus. Uh, He he refused. He thought Jesus was actually kind of a a crazed uh, person, a crazed man, uh, was James. And yet when James, uh, Paul tells us that James was one of the very first people that Jesus appeared to after he rose from his grave. And the, the interesting fact about that, you may wonder, why was, why was James selected? Well, James, as I said, had been sort of opposed to trusting in Christ. The interesting thing is not only was James elected as a leader of this congregation, but as James grew up, he grew up with Jesus under the same roof because James is a half-brother of Jesus Christ. James was born of the same mother, Mary, But James' father, of course, was Joseph, while Jesus, we know, was conceived in Mary of the Holy Spirit. So James is a person that's gotten to know Jesus from the word go. He's seen Jesus from the inside out, growing up in the same same household. And then he doesn't believe in him. We read in the Gospels where he even tries to go once with the family and collect Jesus and say, come on, we got to get this guy who's a little crazy, um, you know, he thinks he's got a Messiah complex and so on. But in the end, James becomes one of the, the most profound believers, blessed with wisdom and gifts, and becomes the very leader to whom all the other leaders, even Peter, even the greater apostle Peter, uh, kind of uh, respect him as the leader of this church. Paul tells us that when he first came a believer, he went and visited James so that he could talk with him as a leader of the Jerusalem church. So this is the man that's writing these words. We know that he knows Jesus from the inside out, as I said, and he is considered to be wise, trustworthy, someone that we should listen to. Here's what it says in James chapter 2. If you have your own Bible, you can open it up. It's a little bit late in uh, the New Testament, uh, later on one of the later books. Or if you want, you can read along in the crosswalk notes that are in your program. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Let's read that again. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. 
Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, let's say to the poor man, you stand there or, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You want to hear something completely ironic given the title of this series? We sent this postcard out to many people in our community. We sent out over 5,000 of them. It was designed about three months ago. And uh, there's a picture of it on the screen behind me. And the words, what's wrong with this picture? And can you figure out what's wrong with that picture? Obviously, you normally are not going to see at a football game uh, fans of all different persuasions wearing different uniforms, hugging, embracing, and cheering for the same play. Just doesn't happen, right? Crazy. In fact, who would ever want to hug a cheesehead? I mean, that alone, that's crazy. All right, so something is totally wrong with that picture. And then, remember, this was designed three months ago. Did you hear what happened at the very first preseason game of the, of the Arizona Cardinals? Two guys walking out of the game at the end of the, the first game, walk out into a parking lot north of the stadium, one wearing a Raiders jersey, the other wearing a Cardinals jersey, And they got into some sort of argument and altercation. And the guy with the Cardinals jersey pulls out a gun and shoots the guy in the Raiders jersey. Unbelievable. And it really shows not only what's wrong with this picture, but what's wrong with our world. We we live in a world where for some weird reason... We find it easier to argue and fight and separate and build walls. It's, it's as if our whole attitude in this world is better fences make better neighbors. And so I'm going to build my fence between me and all the other people as strong as I can so that it's just impossible for this world to come together. How crazy is it that we as people cannot get along with one another, and especially when it's based on something like a football jersey, right? And do you see that we live in a world that's, that divides people for all sorts of, of crazy reasons that actually probably, if anything, have less meaning than a football jersey? Football jersey, at least, I mean, I can understand. That's important, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. But think about how, how we normally categorize people, right? Good guys and bad guys. Those of us who know what's right 
and those people who just don't get it. Those of us who are educated and the people over there that are the dropouts of society and the dregs of society. I'm smart. She's dumb. We've got character in class. All they have is crass. I'm well-dressed, clearly, and have style. They're, well, (laughs) just ridiculous. I'm open-minded. He's stubborn. I'm hardworking and dedicated. But them, I've never seen lazier people in my life. We're right. They're just wrong. Have you ever found yourself thinking thoughts like that, even saying things like that? It's because in sin, we all need to find ways, it seems, to put the whole world into two categories. Some are the heroes wearing the white cowboy hats, and some are enemies of society and of us, and they're wearing the black cowboy hat. There's the good guys and the bad guys. And somehow I always find a way to put myself into the category of the good guys. And it's those people who are the bad guys. That's what we tend to do by nature. We divide people by race or ethnicity or color, by class and economic status, by gender and age, by education and income. And for the next three months, and you're going to see it, and this is one of the big reasons why we have this series during this specific time of years, this specific time of this year in particular, is we will attempt to divide people by politics and preference. You've seen it in the last two weeks if you've watched any of the national conventions of either the Republican or the Democrat Party. We are so good at telling each other why that person is a bad guy while I am a good guy. And so we wanted to have this series to really evaluate how we discriminate and ask ourselves Are there not some big problems with discrimination in our world? And see what the Bible, see what God himself has to say about this. And what we hear from Jesus' brother James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, is that there are multiple and huge problems when it comes to discrimination. And the first problem that we're going to dive into is just simply this. When we start to divide the whole world into good guys and bad guys and and put ourselves in the good guy category, the biggest problem right there is denial. We're denying the true reality of who we are when we do that. And we're usually trying to figure out some reason to build our own self-esteem and self-confidence that is weakened by whatever's going on in the world. Very often people, have you noticed this, that when they're accusing others of something, they're doing something that psychologists even have a name for. It's called projecting. Remember the old thing saying that, that when you point a finger at somebody, three fingers are pointing back at you? That's a simpler way of saying what psychologists are saying about projection. That when I accuse somebody of something, 
It's often that I'm noticing it in this other person because it's prevalent in me. Have you ever noticed that people have the hardest time getting along, especially initially with people who are more like them? Because they're seeing things that they don't like in that other person, but deep down they know that those are things in themselves and they project that onto the other person and then that erodes their self-esteem. They feel guilty and ashamed and then they've got to find out, how am I better than these other people? And so we, we begin to create labels and categories and divisions. You know what the antidote for that is? Instead of being denial in denial about what what we truly are, we need to just open up to the truth and, and literally look at the man or the woman in the mirror that we really are as evaluated by the Bible, God's Word. We need to see clearly. Notice what James says here. When we see clearly as someone who follows Christ, some interesting things are going to happen. We're going to, first of all, see that faith and playing favorites cannot coexist in a Christ follower. Do you see? My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. James is saying those two cannot exist in the same heart. If you are a believer in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and you have faith in your heart, you cannot also have favoritism. We read in the Bible, when we read, for example, what the Apostle Paul says, the very first big reason why we can't play favorites is that in reality, the world is not divided into two big teams or tribes, good guys and bad guys, but by nature, all of us are bad guys. By nature, every one of us has the black hat on, and the Bible calls us enemies of God selfish, wanting what we want, rebellious against God. Take a look at what it says, for example, in Romans chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, for God does not show favoritism. And who are those human beings who do evil? Is he talking about them? No, Paul's saying, it's me. A few chapters later on, in fact, Paul says that exactly. He says, what a wretched person I am. The good that I want to do, I don't. And the evil that I wish I could stop doing, that's what I keep on doing. Am I up here because I deserve to be up here on stage following Christ, teaching the rest of you how to follow Christ, pointing to Christ? Let me tell you. I am not here at all because I did something to earn or deserve this. Just the opposite. If you look at my family alone bringing, being brought up, mom and dad, a dad who was a, an alcoholic, uh, a mom who supported that habit in him for many of the younger years, and they got into huge fights with each other, and then a divorce, and all through that, they never took us to church, even though... They were both raised going to church by their parents. They had rebelled totally against it. And then they raised me the same way. And because they were so busy partying, they also said, ah, I think Jeff at eight, nine, ten years old is pretty good at raising himself. So I pretty much was left to be free and do whatever I wanted. And I was, quite frankly, a rebellious little hellion. 
That's what I was. In fact, I remember more than a few times where I shook my fist directly at God when I was a little kid because I was an angry little kid. And I projected my anger on God and on those around me. You see, so much of of what's going on in our world when we separate is we're taking these deep, sinful, evil feelings that are in our own hearts and we're putting them out there and accusing others of the same thing that we're feeling right inside here. That's what our twisted, evil, sinful hearts do. And it's it's not just one person. It's not just one person about which it can be said there will be trouble and distress. That's what I deserve. Not standing up here teaching you, I deserve trouble and distress. And if God showed favoritism, he certainly would not have picked that little 12, 13, 14-year-old hellion who was shaking his fist at him as someone who should be a follower of his son, Jesus Christ. He wouldn't have done it, not if he was playing favorites. But God does not play favorites. And how many of us are in that same boat? Well, take a look. As it is written at the bottom of the first page, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Can you underline some words? Just to, I want to emphasize the point, how strongly Paul is making this point. As it is written, there is no one. Underline no one. There's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one, underline it again, who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Three times now. All have turned away. He, he says it the opposite. They've together become worthless. There is no one. Underline it a fourth time. There's no one who does good, not even one. He says not even one twice. Can any of us sit in this room and go, oh man, I wear a white hat. I'm a good guy. Too bad everybody else here doesn't get it. Nope. We're all in the same wretched condition. And do you see the problem that creates with discrimination? It's it's a huge problem. How can I discriminate and judge other people who are guilty of being not even a sliver worse than me? We're all wretched sinners. That's what we are. And that's the truth. And the first step in getting rid of discrimination is to get out of denial and stop seeing ourselves as good guys and those other people, for whatever reason we've decided to label them that way, as bad guys. We're all in the same boat of sin, guilt, shame. That's what Paul is saying here. Turn it over. Turn your uh, crosswalk notes over. Our first thought when we're tempted... To discriminate based on outward stuff that doesn't matter is if God played favorites, where would I be? And in humility, I know where I would be. I would be headed straight for eternal trouble and distress in hell. That's what I deserve. The wages of sin is death, God says. Fortunately, there's a much more beautiful side 
to why we're also all in the same boat. And I love this side. The fact is God saw that boat of sin and death that we were all in and his loving heart couldn't stand to see us go to hell and be in trouble and in distress because whenever we hurt, our loving God hurts. That's just who he is. And he decided that no matter what the cost, what the price, he was going to do something about this. He was going to rescue us from trouble and distress and eternal death. He was going to find a way to pay those wages of sin for us. And he did. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you, for me. And the Bible says something interesting about that too. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came for the entire world. Everyone, every last human being that lives today, that ever lived in the past, that will ever live in the future, Christ went to that cross for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. And it's so important for us to hear that because you know what that tells us? Just as we're in the same boat of sin, we're in the same boat of grace and forgiveness and God's mercy and love. How often don't we talk here at Crosswalk about how God's love is unconditional? He did not love you or me because of something lovable in us. He loved because he is love. And how awesome to know that God cannot change. He will always be love. And therefore, his forgiveness and mercy and grace will always be there. And it will always be his gift to us. Do you see what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see what the Bible teaches, and this is an even bigger problem with discrimination, is that yes, our sin is the same, but also our grace is the same. Jesus' rescue for us is the same. And by the way, our need for that rescue through Jesus Christ is the same. And that's what really draws us together. That unique love of Jesus Christ. And and we see it throughout his life, don't we? When everybody else saw a, a woman who was just an adulteress and who deserved to be stoned to death, Jesus saw what his mercy and forgiveness could do for that woman. And he simply forgives her and says, go and sin no more. When everybody else saw people who, who were blind or crippled by the side of the road, Jesus knew what his power could accomplish in them, his gracious power working in them to heal them from their blindness or their lameness. And they could, they could see and, and things would be clear to them and they could stop being lame. When everybody else saw this little guy, Zacchaeus, who seemed to only care about himself and want to be rich because he had Napoleon complex long before Napoleon was even born. And he had to prove himself some way because he was a short guy. 
Couldn't even see Jesus. He was so short. He had to climb up in a tree to be able to see Jesus. And everybody must have been just shaking their head. When when will Zacchaeus ever think he's proven himself? Now he's got to get close to Jesus. But when Jesus passes by, he sees someone whom he would like to have a meal with. For whom he knows that the confidence of knowing his sins are forgiven and that his cross has has paid for everything needed, that if Zacchaeus would hear the gospel, that it would transform everything and give him an identity that is unshakable. That's what Jesus saw. The power of what the gospel message could do for all these different people. And that's what Jesus teaches us to see too. And so our, our, our second thought when we're tempted to divide people and discriminate is simply this thought. Did God not treat me the way he tr- treated that woman <laughs> caught in adultery, the, the blind, the lame, the Zacchaeuses, all these people, lists of people, stories like this. Did God not treat me with that same undeserved love? And he did. And does God not want everyone in this world to hear and know his undeserved love, his mercy, grace, and forgiveness? He does. He does. So I want to tell you that whenever we're tempted to divide and build walls and fences and discriminate, there are these two huge problems with that. The first one is a lack of humility and a lack of reality to think that somehow we're better than others. We're not. And the second is a lack of reality of knowing Christ's love and mercy for me, for you, for everyone, no matter what you look like on the outside. That doesn't matter to Jesus at all. He loves everyone. But you know, there are also some smaller problems with it. I want to take you back to James. Take a look at uh, verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here, sit sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Love how that ends, that section, because he just comes back and and he reminds people, don't you recall how much Jesus loved you and he chose you and called you? And even Paul says it, you know, when you were chosen and called, you weren't much in the eyes of the world, he says to the Corinthians. Not many of you were wealthy or important, he tells them. And yet God called you to be his follower. And I think many of us would feel the same way. And then James says, if that's true of you, how how are you evaluating on the basis of something like clothes? What a person wears. I mean, because this 
This guy comes in in a a beautiful suit and tie. Somehow, all of a sudden, he's better than this person that comes in without all that regalia. And he's just got his shorts and his flip-flops on. And and this guy, you say, oh, we've got got an important seat for you. You sit right here. And this other guy says, he says, there's a nice place on the floor for you. Come on, James says. That doesn't work. You see, another problem with discrimination is that it evaluates on the basis of all the wrong criteria. Clothes don't make the man, is what James is teaching us, even though our society will tell you they do. I want you to look at what it says, for example, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16, 7, on the backside of your crosswalk notes. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So aside from these two big issues we have biblically on discrimination, there are also these smaller yet still quite important issues. This one being that discrimination judges on the wrong criteria, on outward stuff rather than on the heart. Discrimination judges on the basis of a person's skin color or culture or ethnicity or their age or their gender. How many of us haven't said, for example, oh, (laughs) she's, she's a woman. We should expect that. Too much estrogen, clearly. Right? And how many women haven't said, oh, men, how are we ever going to deal with them? They are crazed individuals. Too much testosterone. Right? We, f- we find ways to build all these, these fences. God says, don't look at the outward appearance. He doesn't, He looks at the heart. Another problem? is if you go back to the very first point about how we're all born into this world, not as good guys, but as bad guys, every last one of us is sinners, is that that problem of sin is not just an act, it's part of our hearts. When we say that a person is conceived and born in sin, what we mean is that they have a disease of the spirit, a disease of the soul and of the heart. And that all of us, by nature, are afraid of God, without true fear of God, and and we rebel. Just think about how you feel if someone comes along and says, don't cross that line. Every one of us will go, oh, line, I'm going to cross it. That's how we are, right? That's because of our rebellious hearts, right? You see what it says here? At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, Titus says. If you go back to the front where James is writing, listen to what he says. says the same thing. Go down to verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Remember, he's saying in here, wake up, folks. See reality. Get out of denial. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And you honor them? 
What are you looking for? Are you honoring them because you see relationships as transactions? That you want a friendship with this person because if you give something to them, maybe they're going to give something to you. And it'll turn out okay for you. You'll get the better end of the stick, the better deal. And a lot of how we treat relationships with people is transactional. Jesus, how he deals with people and with us is transformational. He wants us to hear the gospel and have our hearts transformed and changed and made more like his heart because we've experienced the good news of our forgiveness and and the opportunity to have one second chance after another. His mercies are new every morning. And that's transforming to hear about that. But if we don't make that transformation, we are going to discriminate against people, not only on the basis of the wrong criteria, but also on the basis of wrong motives inside our own hearts. We're going to discriminate on the basis of being foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions. That's what James is saying to the people that he's writing to. You're you're not only not basing it on the right criteria... You're drawing your discriminating thoughts from within an evil heart. That is not going to produce a good, godly result in any way. And then finally he says, last verses, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Final point that James makes is that when we practice discrimination, we're breaking that royal law of love that God gave us. And he said to us, there's only two big important laws and all the laws and all the prophets hang on those. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And James says clearly, remember, brother of Jesus, wise leader of the Jerusalem congregation says, look guys, Not only can discrimination and faith not exist in the same heart, but discrimination and obedience to the second great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself cannot exist in the same heart. If you want to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to stop discrimination. Take a look at what it says in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Isn't that beautiful? God's love for you and me was so great that he laid down his life for us. You know what a difference that makes? John says, instead of projecting our evil and sinful hearts upon people, When we tap into Jesus' sacrificial love for us, guess what's going to happen? We're going to project his heart onto people. We're going to want to sacrifice ourselves for others as Jesus sacrificed himself 
first for us to, to win the forgiveness of our sins and the, and, and, the, and the power to lead a changed life. How awesome to think that I can stop by, by Jesus' power. I can stop projecting my pain, my anger, my lack of self-confidence, my hurt on others in a way that divides us and separates us and walls us off from one another in a way that discriminates on the basis of outward stuff that doesn't matter at all. How wonderful to know I can stop all that, stop projecting my sinful heart, and start projecting Jesus' amazing heart. And you can too. And you know what's going to happen when you do that? Instead of discriminating, you're going to be fascinating. People are going to study you, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to kind of do one of these, huh? Because you will be different just the way Jesus was different when he projected his heart onto those people we talked about earlier. They're going to go, what? They're not acting the way other people act. They're not judging people all the time. They don't seem angry all the time. They're, they're, they're not using hurtful words and dividing. In, in fact, when that person walks around, I just I, I sense a, a weird sense of peace. And it's weird, but it's kind of nice. And I feel drawn to that. And, 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 he, and, and, that, and that person, he pulls people together rather than divides them. See, that's what happens. And people are going to go, that's fascinating. And that's what we want this church to be. That's what Jesus wants this church to be. A a group, a family of fascinating people who fascinate because we're no longer reflecting our own sinful hearts out into this city, but we're reflecting Jesus Christ's pure and loving and gracious heart out into this community. So I want to say to you, as it says here at the end of these notes, Discrimination is the very opposite of love. And I want to point out, keep that royal law found in the scripture that Jesus reflected so often in his own life. Love your neighbor as yourself. And stop showing favoritism. That's sin. And it, we're convicted by the law if we do it. So fascinate, as it says there in your key response, fascinate people. By reflecting the heart of Jesus and projecting the heart of Jesus and his love. Fascinate, don't discriminate. The way to do this is to love as Jesus loved you first. Love people out of your inner transformation, not for the profit of a transaction. Let's take a moment to uh, pray. And I want to tell you that I'm going to pray in, in kind of a, a little bit different way than we normally do today, simply because we've got some guests with us this morning. And I'm so pleased that uh, they decided to come. I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the service. But I, I would love for us as a congregation to come together and, and pray for the leadership of this school 
and its teachers and its students. And I would love for us to come together and pray for our police officers, for their protection, for them to continue to be able to keep our community safe and sound. And I want to pray for our fire people who are always there for us when we're going through some sort of crisis in our life, whether it's a, a fire in our home or, or, or an illness that we need an ambulance for. What wonderful people these are who, who actually reflect that self-sacrificing nature and serve us so that we can have a more united and unified community. So will you bow your heads? Let's let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, first of all, we want to just pause for a moment and thank you for Jesus Christ. Everything in this message points to his heart and his mercy and grace that is the thing that really unites us and pulls us together. His unimaginable free gift of love is what makes us walk confidently in this world, knowing that we are forgiven, that we have a fresh start, that we are dearly loved children of God. Lord God, Father, as your children, we want to pray for this city and this community. There are so many people in this community who are hurting and in pain and and need to hear the message of the gospel. Lord, we want to pray for the servants of this community, the people who come every day to work to keep our community united. We want to ask you to give them strength, to bless them and help them as they carry out their duties. I, I want to thank you so much for Scott Gaiman, the the, the, the principal of this school and his leadership team and everybody that is, is here in this school leading these students. And Lord, um, I just want to thank you for the, the students themselves and their families and ask you to bless them. Lord, I want to thank you for the, the police that guard and protect and watch over our city 24-7, day and night. And I want to thank you for Commander Mike Parra and for his leadership at the Estrella Mountain Precinct, this area. It watches over our area here. And I want to ask you to bless all those officers, protect them from harm, keep watch over them. And Lord, we're so grateful that we could uh, meet these people today. We also want to pray for our fire personnel. Thank you that Ardell was able to lead her team to be here and bring the fire truck and everything for the kids in first service. And Lord, watch over them as they try to help people in various crises in their lives and protect them as they're driving our streets and give them wisdom and insight as they try to help and protect people in crisis. Lord, allow us as a congregation to show our gratitude and thanks to all these tremendous servants. And uh, we, we thank you for the opportunity to do that today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you know the Savior's love, the Savior's love, the Savior's love is Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.